the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the work to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday show. Now, normally I don't have anything to talk about on Tuesday, but today I have to have a little personal business before I get started. So, Paula, this is for you. I know you're listening to the program. Don is coming over to the house because she needs your phone password or something like that uh, because you don't have your phone and nobody's been able to call you so she'll be there in just a couple of minutes okay now back to business welcome to the show I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio Texas see how helpless we are when our phones are taken away from us even for a moment but what we do here on the Word to Stand Up for Life is take your phone calls and answer Bible questions, life questions, if you've got problems or issues or you just want some clarity, what we believe as Christians and why, all you have to do is call us. 340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630 5757. Uh, if you are, uh, would rather send the question in via email, you can email questions at calvarysa.com uh, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app with your hands free feature. It's one button. Call now, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We'd love to have your calls. One more time, 340. 9585. Glad you're here with us today. We got lots of questions that have come in, so let's get to some of them. I want to finish or, or start th- today with the question that, that uh, I had yesterday from Raymond that I didn't get much time. It was in the last minute, so I want to go back to that. Then we'll get to some of the new questions that have been sent in. And Raymond, the way you reason I want to do this is because at the end of the program, you got another question based on your question that I'll include in this one as well. Raymond's question is, what do you think is the biblical model for church today? Uh, the question that I got um, that uh, I want to add to it is this one. Um, let me find it really quick. Uh, and it came in anonymously. It says, do you have any plans to change your church government structure in view of millennials changing what they look for in the church? Um, so both of those questions, a couple of things. The biblical model I told you yesterday, Raymond, was the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Uh, whenever Jesus does something, that settles it. He gives us a template. And when we follow that template, then we're going to be on solid ground. The, the, the model for church is simple. Uh, people get saved by preaching. People are equipped by teaching. And a biblical church is a church that's committed doctrinally. The book of Acts puts it this way. They were committed or devoted to the apostles' doctrine. We have that doctrine in our New Testament. So it's a church that functions under the New Covenant according to that model. But it's also a church 
that worships. It's a church that prays. It's a church that thrives on fellowship. It's a church that celebrates the sacraments. We have only two of them in a New Testament church. That's baptism and communion. Uh, and that's the model for church that was established from the very beginning. So, Raymond, uh, there's no need to improve on that which Jesus established as perfect. I think sometimes we have to remember that it's not our church, it's his. And we'll do that. Now, let me tie that in with the other question uh, about the uh, my any plans do I have to change uh, the way we, we run things here, the government structure, or the, the way we do things. One of the great things about God is that he's really old. And he's established ways for us to do things. His mind doesn't change because new people come along. And Anonymous, one of the problems that we have, I think, in the church culture that we live in today is very simply that, that we try to find out what people want and give that to them instead of doing what Jesus wants and never changing. You know, I can say, and, and this is something I'm proud of, uh, if you came to Calvary Chapel when we were uh, just getting started 23 years ago, um, obviously we have a building, obviously we have a lot of people now, we didn't have that back then, but here's what we do have, we have the exact same emphasis on worship and teaching the Word. One of the great compliments that I get from people when they have been gone a long time or they come back and visit after having been gone for a long time is it's like, Pastor Ron, this is exactly the same thing that you were doing when we were here five years or ten years ago. And that's the way it should be. Jesus, again, doesn't change, so we don't need to change either. In terms of a government structure, we believe very strongly that God intends the churches to be pastor-driven. That doesn't make us dictators. It just means that God gives a vision to a man. That man then attacks that vision. And people, God brings people that, that will help. And we all follow that vision together. And the church needs to be consistent. If we're not consistent, then people have no idea where we're going or what we're doing. So none of us, we have no plans to change. There's a, it really is a big relief for me because I don't have to sit and think about um, how we're going to do things next year, how we're going to get better, how we're going to get bigger. We haven't spent, in our 23 and a half years here at Calvary Chapel, we haven't spent one minute or one dime trying to figure out how to get bigger. We've never advertised. I just stand at the pulpit teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And if I'm doing my job, that's all I'm responsible for. Then God does his job. And the Acts chapter 2 church says it's God who added daily to the church, such as we're being saved. I think there's a great, great word there for all of us in terms of our consistency in walks. Nothing should ever change. The only thing that changes is that we grow more and more in love with Jesus. Our passion increases because we're committed to doing what He wants us to do and doing it His way. We can never ask Him to come to us on our terms. We come to Him on His terms. We are servants. We do what we're told. So, um, Raymond and Anonymous, I hope that uh, gives some clarity to your questions. Here is a question from our email inbox that came in today. Glenn says, Pastor Ron, would you please clarify two questions in the section of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 21. In verse 18, does the word righteous referring uh, to Christ himself, since the word is not capitalized? I read it as if it meant people who are righteous. I'm sure it's the former. Uh, 2 in verses 19 and 20, the imprisoned spirit since the days of Noah, where were they kept? It couldn't be Abram's bosom since they were not Jews. So is there or was there a holding place for people who died before Christ? Did they get to choose to follow Jesus after he preached to them? Sorry I'm a little foggy about this. Thank you. Glenn, no problem. Uh, never apologize for a good question. This is a good one. A couple of things to understand about capitalization in the New Testament. There is no capitalization or punctuation in Greek. So when translators capitalize something, 
to make sure it's a reference to deity. Uh, that's just sort of their imposition. It's not necessary. So when you see a word like this, righteous, um, uh, not capitalized, it doesn't mean that it doesn't refer. And you're reading it correct. When you say you're sure it's the former, you are correct. In verse 18, it's talking about Jesus. And the context there is very simple. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, that's a reference to him, for the unrighteous, that's a reference to us, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So you understand it right, but don't worry about the capitalization. That's just something that um, English translators add, and uh, it's unnecessary. The context makes it clear. When you see something not capitalized, it refers to God. Uh, a lot of pronouns, he or himself. Uh, I've had people say, you see, they're trying to take God's deity away because they don't capitalize it. They're just being faithful to translating the text that they have. The other question uh, is interesting um, regarding um, Abraham's bosom. Uh, Abram's bosom is not God's name for it. Um, Luke chapter 16 identifies two places, a place of torment, and every unbeliever who rejected Jesus Christ before or after his incarnation is in that place of torment. Likewise, Glenn, every believer, either before his incarnation or after, like Abraham was justified by faith, the same way you and I are justified by faith, well, then they would all be in that place called paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So it wasn't a matter of whether or not um, they could only go to a place where Jews were allowed. That's not the point. Uh, Jesus' ministry was Jewish. He was communicating uh, in a Jewish context. He wanted them to understand, um, and that's why Abraham was used as the example. So, again, that's not a parable, that's a true story. The other question you had, did they get to choose to follow Jesus after he preached him? The answer is no. Um, when Jesus preached to the spirits in prison, it wasn't the gospel that he was preaching. What he was doing, Glenn, was proclaiming victory. It was a, a victory message, a declaration of, of victory over death. So it wasn't at all um, a second chance. Um, it was simply um, not a human way that we would think of, but you should have believed. What the prophet said was true, and you should have believed. So I hope that helps. Here is a caller from San Antonio, Charles, on line one. Charles, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How you doing today? Charles, I'm doing really well. Thank you. That's right. My wife is here with me, and uh, she actually has a question. Um, we've been struggling and, and uh, having issues, like, with her family, Um they all turned against her and myself, um, and they don't want any like anything to do with her. They they, they cut ties with her and stuff. Is that a sign that that that's got that God has a big blessing coming towards us? Well, I, I don't know that it's a sign that you have a blessing coming, but Charles, one of the things that uh, Jesus does his best. I'm sorry, I had to clear my throat. One of the things Jesus does, um, his best work on is, is brand new Christians. Uh, he prepares us to understand that people are going to reject us. I'm not at all surprised her family turned their back on you. Uh, one of the things that we have to, to, to sort of really take hold of by faith is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed, or the word is happy. Happy are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. He didn't say we'd feel happy. He just said that we would be happy because it's a sign that our faith is now repelling unbelievers and it, it just validates the fact that our faith is real. So uh, the blessing that God promised you've already received, um, you're going to heaven instead of hell, um, you, your life now has hope and direction, and the blessing you're going to live out every single day as you follow Jesus, and when when when... Uh, Paul, and I believe Paul's a writer of Hebrews, he says uh, in his letter to the Hebrews, he says, throw off everything that hinders. 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And uh, sometimes old family members, old relationships, uh, they hinder our walk with Jesus. Now you and your wife together, as one flesh, equally yoked, are now in a place where you're free to follow the will of God for your lives unencumbered. And by doing so, and here's the real thing that we need to pray for, uh, by doing so, by, by, by letting people see your commitment to Jesus Christ, by letting them see the changes that are happening in your life and in your wife's life, Charles, well, then God's going to use that evidence to sort of try to win the hearts of her family members. And it always happens that way. They're going to have to make their own choice, but God is going to make sure they're really accountable. And he wants to use you and your wife to do it. So uh, blessings have already come. Blessings are sure to come. Um, it's going to be hard. Sometimes our sin is such, mine was the case, Charles, but our sin is such that, that there are severe consequences. But this is the time that together you're going to learn to walk with and trust in Jesus as never before. And, and you stay close to him. You keep doing what he says. You and your wife together keep opening the word and reading to each other. And you're going to see the hand of God move in and through your lives as you never could have imagined before. So blessings are ahead. That does not mean, however, the difficult times are over. What it means is that even though it hurts to be rejected by family members, it's not you they're rejecting. It's Jesus in you, the hope of glory that they're rejecting. Oh. Okay, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Pastor. And uh, I hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you come, uh, come Sunday afternoon. Thank you, Charles. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know what? One of the things I didn't do because I had that super secret message for Paul. We have our annual Christmas dinner, four o'clock this Sunday, at the Shirts Civic Center. And we want to invite you. Charles, you and your wife are, are will be thrilled to have you there. But the, the radio audience, you're invited to come as well. There'll be tons of food. Lots of people love Jesus. Uh, no organized plan. We just sit, we eat, we serve, we talk. Starts at 4 o'clock. You don't have to bring food to get food. We're going to have plenty. If you want to bring something, that's great as well. Uh, but we'd love to invite you to come. That's this Sunday at 4 o'clock at the Shirts Civic Center. Last year, I think I told you we had about 1,200 people that we served. And um, I don't know what the, the crowd is going to be like, but it just means there are going to be a lot of people, and it's going to be fun. Here is a question from Richard from our email inbox. Uh, he says, are there souls in paradise now who is in Hades now? Um, Richard, in paradise, the answer is no. Jesus, when he died and went down, and the question we just had from Glenn, he emptied the place called paradise. Uh, he led captivity captive in his train. In other words, he declared victory, and he took those who were in paradise to be with him in heaven. And now everybody who dies, now everybody who dies instantly goes into the presence of Jesus. So in the abyss, or what you're referring to as Hades, there's lots of different names, and they're interchangeable. Um, there's two compartments. One has people in it, the other one does not, because those who are in paradise are now with Jesus in heaven. So um, those who are suffering in torment in the abyss, um, they're awaiting their final destination, which will be after the great tribulation and after the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. Um, they will eventually be cast into the lake of fire. And that's where they will spend eternity. And eternity is a very, very long time. So, Richard, I hope that answers your question. Here is our next question from J.M. J.M. is upset with me, evidently. My question is about why pastors still speak against marijuana. And then in parentheses, it is legal now. Instead of letting people use it if they choose. Well, J.M., the reason we speak against marijuana it's because it's something God doesn't want you to have. The government may say it's okay for you. You may have friends who say it's okay for you. 
but you're not free. You're, you're writing to a Christian program. The assumption is you want God's blessing to sin. That's never going to happen. God wants you sober. We're commanded to be sober, to be vigilant. You can't do that if you're high. Marijuana hurts brains. Your brain, wonderfully formed, majestically formed. A brain that's to be used to seek the mind of Christ and to learn about who he is and what he's done. And you can't do that if you're medicating yourself. And I don't care how legal it is, I've heard every excuse. Well, it's an herb, it's natural. I just need it to relax. What's the big deal? The big deal is God says don't do it. Any mind-altering substance you use, including alcohol, the difference between alcohol and marijuana is you instantly are high with marijuana, especially at the levels of potency that, that manufactured marijuana has compared to marijuana when I was growing up in the Jesus movement days. The instant you smoke it, you're high. And you're inviting Satan to destroy you. And pastors need to speak out against this drug. It's destroying a generation of kids. We're more concerned about concussions in football than we are about what marijuana is doing to the brains of our young people. This is such a no-brainer, J.M. It's such a no-brainer that asking the question the way you ask the question indicates a real heart problem that you have. You're rebelling against God. You're going to keep rebelling against God. It's going to cost you. Or you're going to be obedient to God so he can bless you. You get to make that choice. You say letting people use it if they choose. Well, if you choose to use marijuana, no matter how modern from your perspective the world has become, you're going to pay the consequence. 340-9585. We're inside four minutes. Let me see what kind of question we got here. Here's a question from Ed. Paul and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, Ed says, uh, Pastor Ron, I'm told that Paul and Peter both kept Torah after being converted. If that's so, should we all be keeping the law? Um, Ed, Paul and Peter did not keep Torah. I don't know who told you that. Um, all you have to do is read the letters that were written by both Paul and Peter, especially Paul on this issue of being bound by the law, the Torah being the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, Paul and Peter did not become Torah-observant Jews. Um, Paul writes about the law literally choking the spiritual life out of them. It withstood Peter in the face. Why are you putting a yoke on these who, a yoke that we couldn't even keep ourselves? So no, they just didn't add. That's just not good information at all. Now here's the most important thing about this is uh, the Torah was about sacrifice for atonement. Blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. If Paul or Peter kept the Torah... They would be blaspheming. They would be proclaiming heresy, another gospel. Paul says Jesus Christ was once for all delivered to the saints, or delivered for the saints, rather. There's no other sacrifice. There's only one, it's Jesus Christ. And once he gave his life for us, then anybody who believes in him does away with the Jewish law. Period. And if we don't understand that, then um, we don't understand what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. So Paul did not keep Torah. Peter did not keep Torah. Um, they, they in, as Peter's case especially, retained their Jewishness. But their Jewishness was understood as having been fulfilled or completed in Christ. And both of them were very, very vocal and eager proponents of the New Covenant. So, Ed, whoever told you that, they're not telling you the truth. 
remember it was in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul confronted Peter because Peter was starting to slip back into Judaism and following the Judaizers because of the pressure. We're humans, we make mistakes, but Paul corrected him. Peter responded appropriately, and they both lived their lives as born-again Christians. I don't know why that's so hard for people. So, Ed, be careful. The people that are going to say things like that, they're making this up because it seems to support their position on being under the law. And you don't want to be trapped. Oh, foolish Galatians, you started so well. Who's cut in on you? That's the way Paul described the response to this question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Center for Life, and we'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. The following is a pre-recorded program. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from becky she says if you are saved but living after the flesh are you really saved, or is it just that we all sin? Becky, the definition of living after the flesh, that's very important, indicates a lifestyle, a willful disobedience, and people who are really saved cannot do that. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. However, if you sow to the Spirit, Paul says, you will reap the benefits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul describes lifestyles. And then he says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the idea is, the way we live, the choices we make, identify who we really are. Not who we say we are, but who we really are. So Becky, if somebody comes to me, and this has happened many, many times over the years, and they say, Pastor Ron, I'm a Christian. I got saved, and they'll tell me when they got saved. But right now I'm in a relationship with somebody. Right now I'm doing drugs, or right now I'm doing this. And, and I always ask them the question, what makes you think you're saved? Well, I answered an altar call, or I got baptized, or I was raised in a Christian home. Becky, none of those are proof that you're saved. The proof that you're saved is change. The new you, if it's real, cannot live like the old you. Everybody who meets Jesus changes. Now, it's true, wonderfully so, Becky, but we can come to Jesus the way we are. But we can't stay that way. He loves us too much to let us stay that way. So when he comes into our heart, when he really comes into our heart, now, they're emotional conversions, and they don't last very long. There are people that get really excited. There are people who are just so desperate that they're ready to try anything. But, but, but if the Word, the, the Spirit of God, gets into your heart, the process of changing begins. We can change very quickly. Some of us do. Others of us change more slowly. But the one thing that's constant, Becky, is that we change so to claim you're saved, right now I'm living after the flesh. We Christians, we've invented a polite word for sin. We call it backsliding. And I've had people say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm backsliding right now. And I always ask, well, so how long is that going to last? And then they get the idea of where I'm going. Um, if you're really saved, you want to please the Lord. 
if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you can't go pursuing sin as a practice or as a lifestyle. So the idea, well, nobody's perfect, we're all going to sin, that's not an excuse to, one, plan your sin, two, pursue your sin, and three, to persist in your sin. If you're saved, you're changed, you're transformed. Here is a question from Andrew. He says, Pastor Ron, my question is about generational curses and sin. I guess it means generational sin. Is it something I have to worry about because my parents were addicts? Uh, Andrew, in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. This great passage in Ezekiel chapter 18 um, where uh, the Lord says, No longer do I want to hear that, that my sins are my father's fault or, or uh, each man's going to stand before God and woman is going to stand before God for their own sins. And this transformation I just spoke about, to Becky's question, Andrew, when we meet Jesus, we begin the process of changing. If Jesus wipes away our past, our sin is as far from us as east is from west, how much more our parents' sin? Now, there's generational lifestyles that pass down. But Jesus breaks that pattern. You know, a, a, a person that's raised by angry people is often going to be angry. Uh, an abused person is going to turn into an abuser, an alcoholic, or a drug addict. Uh, your parents were addicts. Um, um, we learn to cope using alcohol or drugs. But Jesus, and the reason we need Jesus, is because he changes all of that. And in an instant, we're transformed. Generational curses are really a curse to the church because there's false teachers that are teaching them. Um, but that is to so demean the work of Christ on the cross, the gift of God, uh, that we need to avoid it. So Andrew, no, um, you don't have to worry about it. You walk with Jesus and you're going to walk in freedom. It is for freedom you've been set free. So your parents have an influence on us. The, the circumstances around the way we were raised certainly influence us. But Jesus, I'm going to use a bad word, uninfluences those choices. And we're free to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves and no to our parents. Here's a question from Laugh, Les, rather. Are New Testament believers part of the Old Testament covenants? And what role do the Old Testament covenants play in New Testament lives? Uh, we are not a part of the Old Testament covenants. If you're talking about uh, the promises made to Israel, um, we're not a part of those. Those aren't given to us. Uh, we have such wonderful and glorious promises in our New Testaments that we don't have to worry about the promises made to Israel. It is a common mistake, but one of the primary hermeneutics is when you're reading your Bible, you don't assume God is talking to you when he's specifically addressing Israel. Now, there are principles that we can uh, uh, count on, but the, the specific promises... Those are only for the people to whom the promises were given. So the, the Old Testament covenants um, play almost no part in their New Testament lives. Only this, the exception is that they teach us that God is faithful, He's always been faithful, and we can presume will always be faithful as well. So less than the Old Testament, I love it, but you have to understand it. Just because God is talking to the sins of Abraham doesn't mean he's talking to you unless the context suggests that we're one of those descendants by faith in the promises of God. If you want great promises, read Romans chapter 8. There's so many great promises in Romans chapter 8. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That promise you can count on. 
Paul writing to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That promise is something that you can count on. So we don't need to go borrow Israel's promises. So I hope that makes sense. Let's go to Laura calling from San Antonio. Laura, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, my question, hi. I, I have a question about the generational curse. Um, how do you deal with the generational curse if your father was a satanic priest? If your father was what? I'm sorry. Satanic priest. He used to do yeah. witchcraft. Okay, it's the same thing. In Christ, Laura, you're completely set free from this. There is no curses that can stick to you or with you. Um, God, God certainly isn't going to punish you for the sins of your father. Um, there, there's, there's absolutely no connection. Second Corinthians five seventeen. You have a tattoo it on your brain. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So, again, people buy into that. It sells well. It gives us a, a, something to blame when we mess up. But remember, the enemy has lost power. He's lost authority over you when you surrendered your heart to Christ. So, Laura, if you're a born-again Christian, and I'm assuming you are, is that right? Okay, then you don't have to worry about one thing that your father does, and now you are emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray for your father uh, because he needs yeah. to be delivered. Okay? Right. I brought it up to him that he needs to be delivered from that and denounce the kingdom of Satan, but he hasn't done it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't he doesn't even need to denounce the kingdom of Satan. All he needs to do is respond to the invitation uh, by Jesus Christ to receive eternal life through the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, you know, we don't have to talk to the devil. We don't have to renounce anything. All we have to do is, is repent of our sins. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Satanist or, or you're just a, a, a guy or a girl who's having a hard time. Just repent of your sin. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and tell him that I surrender my life to you, Lord, and all ties are broken forever. Amen. So no worries for you, okay? Okay, that sounds awesome. Thank you. Okay, thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Meredith. You know, there's some things I get questions uh, in cycles you know, there's no new questions, just like there's no new answers. But but generational curses are one of those things that if God would give me the authority for one hour to do, do away with anything, that would be near the top of my list because that false teaching is so pernicious and people get caught. What we have to do is understand the character of God, the nature of God, and the love of God. And, um, you know, a Satanist... Uh, especially somebody who's a satanic priest, um, I'm probably not going to give up easy. There's going to be a battle. Satan's going to try to hold on to him, but, but his chain can be broken. But there is no chain that your parents have, have bound you with that Jesus hasn't broken. One other comment on this, because the other thing that we don't want to get rid of is deliverance ministries. As Christians, we have already been delivered. We don't have to be delivered again and again and again and again. We have already been delivered by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So protect yourselves. Know your Bibles. Know what God has done for you. I promise you, you will be blessed. Let's go to Linda from San Antonio Online 1. Linda, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. Uh, I, hi. <laughs> So I have a question. Um, I'm looking kind of for a specific way to answer the question of people who live together, but they're opposite sex, but are just friends. Um, and they really are just friends. And they'll say, well, there's nothing in the Bible. Well, no, there isn't anything specifically in the Bible, but I'm, I'm looking for something, advice on what I can, what I can say. 
Really, I just need to pray. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Linda, that's that's a hard one because we've had people. You know, we've uh, uh, people will come into church. Uh, and they're living with somebody from the opposite sex, and, and they'll get saved. And, of course, uh, when they come up and people are praying for them and they start talking about their circumstance, uh, we'll say, well, you know, you've got to stop living together. Uh, and, and we have had dozens over the years of occasions where people would say, but we're not involved as a couple. We're not involved physically or sexually. Uh, we're, we're, we're just living together, sleeping in different rooms and, and those kind of things. Um, you know, if somebody is, uh, God knows whether they're telling the truth. Typically, if a man and woman are living together, they're, in, uh, they're involved physically, they're involved sexually. So there really isn't anything that we can do short of saying, oh, I don't believe you, you're a liar, which puts us in the, in the judgment seat, and, and we're not to be there. Uh, don't judge if somebody tells me uh, that they're going to be okay. We've had other people, Linda, who, who were, were sexually involved, um, but it, the circumstances were just impossible for them to move out financially, and they were, they were partners in a house or something. Um, and, and we'll tell them, look, two things. One, you're going to get married, you've got to get married quickly. Um, if, you're, if you're unwilling to do that, then you've got to separate. But until you get married, and I make them promise me, I make them promise me, I tell them I'm going to ask them how they're doing, that they're going to be an opposite end of the house, that there's no more sex. We want to bring that relationship into a place where God can bless it. Now, I personally think, Linda, and I don't want to, sound like I'm speaking out of the other side of my mouth here, but I think it's safe to assume that when people are living together, uh, opposite sex, um, they're having sex, and that's sin, they need to stop it, and I let them know, you can lie to me, I'm not going to come over and check you out, check out your house, but, but God knows everything, what does God know about your behavior this week? And if they're unwilling to change that, then... I'm going to ask him, did you or did you not really meet Jesus? You don't understand. If if you met him, he's now in charge. I've had men look at me and say, well, where are we going to go? What am I supposed to do? And I've told them, look, if you've got to sleep in your car or sleep in your truck, do that. To, to, to find the blessing of God, do that. But I have actually been convinced on a couple of those occasions, Linda, that people who were sharing the same house were not involved at all in a relationship. Uh, and eventually, as they found other people, uh, then, then, of course, the living arrangements changed. So um, we try to believe the best. We can be skeptical and we can pray. Um, but, but they need to be, um, if there's any physicality at all in the relationship, they need to be in separate places to get that relationship under the blessing of God. Or what they need to do is get married really, really quickly. One other thought, Linda, when somebody says to me, well, well, I'm not ready to marry him yet, I'm not ready to marry her yet, that's when we start pushing for, well, then just separate from them. You both gave your heart to Jesus, just separate from them. And, uh, you know, those relationships, because they, they weren't born in godliness, uh, they weren't part of God's plan, those relationships just sort of fade away. And there's other people that God has. The point is, we want to be in the place where God can bless us every single day. And we can't do that if we're holding on to sin. So, if somebody's going to look at me and lie, that's between them and the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate the question. Here is a question from Meredith. She says, Pastor Ron, why don't we see miracles like we see in the Bible? Uh, Meredith, there's a lot of reasons. Um, First and foremost, the purpose of the miracles that we see in the Bibles, they were signs. Signs and wonders, they point to Jesus. They had a very specific purpose. When Jesus did miracles in the Gospels, he was doing those miracles to validate the fact that he's who he said he was, that he really was the Christ, the Savior of Israel. And that's why they would ask him, well, what sign are you going to do to, to, to indicate your authority over, over the things you say or the things that you're doing? Jesus' miracles were signs to Jews pointing to them or pointing out to them that he really was the Christ. So they had a purpose. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, 
the, the, the epistles of Paul and Peter and James and John, we see miracles that are done validating the ministry of the apostles. If you look in the book of Acts, it will say, and many miracles were done, but we don't read those last words, by the apostles. There weren't tons of people just doing miracles because the Holy Spirit was pouring out the anointing to do them. The apostles were doing the miracles. The people were being blessed by the miracles, but that miracle was always followed. It was a sign. It was always followed by a message about Jesus. Sometimes they listened, sometimes they didn't. But that was the point. In our culture today, Jesus has come, he's gone, who he is has been established beyond any reasonable doubt whatsoever. And so there's no need for miracles because we don't need the sign. Now, I want to be clear so nobody leaves and saying, Pastor Ron doesn't believe in miracles. I do. And we've seen them. There are times in God's grace and in his infinite love that God miraculously does something. He'll heal. Or he'll provide uh, miraculously. We, we, we've been the beneficiary of, of this kind of miracle. God will provide miraculously through, through someone that we didn't know, someone we've never seen before, and in some cases, someone we've never seen since. Those are miracles. However, when God does that, it's just because He's nice. Miraculous healings. The other reason, Meredith, that we don't see miracles is because we have no concern for authority, for authenticity, or even personal holiness. In the first century church, when you saw those miracles, those were men and women who really walked in the fear of God. 340-9585, let's go to Seguin and talk with Anthony, our old friend. Anthony, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Uh, it's a pleasure Thank to, you, Anthony. to speak to you. To speak to how, you. how you feeling? Uh, before you start, how you... Good, 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 good. Everything is great. God is good. My life is good. Praise the Lord. I just thank God. And I thank God for, for your advice over the years. I still want to meet you in person. I still want to go to your church. I haven't had the opportunity, but I will. But, um, okay, good. I, okay. I, I, uh, I, I've been asking God, I mean, I've been, you know, trying to get closer to God, reading reading more of the Word of God, and uh, and I decided just to start reading the New Testament, so I began, and, and I'm in the book of Acts right now, and the book mm-hmm. of Acts, oh my God, it's a beautiful book. Oh, there are miracles that, 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 that nobody's, I've never heard anybody preach on, you know, but anyways, I have a, just a couple of questions, hopefully you can answer them. One, um, can you clear up just really quick the fear of God uh, uh, when you ask God to give me the fear of God because I think it's in the Old Testament says the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God mm-hmm. and that's to reverence him right to, to know that oh yeah we've talked about this before You're, I'm sorry we, we already talked about this you answered that so okay disregard that now in the book of Acts John and Peter and there were several there were seven other people with them and they were going around I believe they were in Jerusalem were they not or they were like in different cities um, who were the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and uh, Caiaphas I believe that was his name Caiaphas Okay, and the other people, were they Jews or were they Gentiles? And then can you tell me what is the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? And then uh, okay. tomorrow I'll call in with another question because I, and that's enough for now. And like, I don't want to take okay. up the time because it's 442, you. but I'm going to stay on yeah. the line because I don't have a radio. But go ahead. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. A couple of things. One, I just finished the book of Acts on uh, this past Friday night. So uh, if you really want to hear the, the, the Bible studies, uh, they're all online now. And um, uh, we had a great time going through the book of Acts. So we taught on the miracles and the, the, the growth of the church. It's, it's just a great, great book to study. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin is uh, were the 70 Jewish ruling elders. They're all Jewish. Jesus' ministry, as you go through the Gospel accounts, is entirely Jewish. So when he's talking about the Sanhedrin, um, the, the, 
We talk about the 70 ruling elders. Now we've talked about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, these are, uh, the Pharisees were the most legalistic sect uh, among the Jews. Paul, uh, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was a Pharisee. Um, 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 they believed in the resurrection from the dead. Um, they, they, they believed in, in the miraculous. The Sadducees, on the other hand, and these were the ones who were uh, sort of in control at the time of Jesus. Um, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They, they didn't believe in anything miraculous. So there was always this friction between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But Anthony, they were all Jews. Uh, both sides made up their mind that they didn't want this Jesus person uh, to change their life. They were, were um, really, really, really stiff in their opposition to God. And as they were making lots of money and doing well, um, they, they had the appearance of righteousness, but uh, without the reality of righteousness. So, Anthony, thank you. I look forward to your call tomorrow. Let me take this last question that just came in via our mobile app from LF. Back on the marijuana issue, why would God create it and not want us to use it since it helps heal people with certain mental and nervous system issues? LF, because maybe he wants you to trust him. Now, God did not create marijuana, I promise you. There was no marijuana in the Garden of Eden. So, what we have to do is get over this. God created weeds. Do you want to smoke weeds? Marijuana is a sin to use. And the evidence that it helps anybody is tenuous at best, and most of that evidence is put out by those who are making immense amounts of money on marijuana don't believe the things that you read open your bible and you have to decide are you a christian or are you not if you're christian god says how about you trust me instead of the marijuana hey thanks for the calls today we've been enjoying our time You've been listening to the words of Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Have a good evening. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word To Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word To Stand On For Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word To Stand On For Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.